How about that cigar? How about that cigar? Well, it is, uh, what episode number is it, Garrett? I want to say it's 28. Yeah, it's episode 28 of How About That Cigar Live. Thank you guys so much for watching on Facebook Live. And for those of you listening on the audio podcast, thanks so much for giving us a few minutes of your time listening on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, Take just a few minutes, if you would, right now. Share us out to your favorite Facebook cigar groups before uh, Facebook shuts down everything cigar related. Uh, as long as we still have, you know, the freedom to do cigar stuff on Facebook, let's do it. Share us out there. And if uh, if you're listening on the audio podcast, take just a few minutes and subscribe to the podcast and give us five stars because why not? Why not? Uh, so, Garrett, it's October 1st. It's October baseball. We actually get to pay attention to October baseball. How fun is that? I know the twins are in it. So, um, but the Yankees, yeah, the Yankees. So we get to go up against the Yankees starting on uh, Friday. Yep. Um, But I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch because it was that neck and neck race between the Yankees and the twins leading up to the end of the regular season, you know, going back and forth, trading that home run lead and the twins end with 307 home runs. I know. Uh, and the the Yankees with 306, and the I mean the the home run records, just all the different records that were broken this year alone, just for home runs in it's the whole crazy. in the whole major leagues was was absolutely ridiculous, unprecedented. So we've got we've got more home runs than we've ever had, and you've got the two leading home run teams going up against each other in that first you know, uh, playoff divisional series. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch because I I think they're going to be high scoring games. I do too. Yeah. And, and the thing is both, both teams actually have the twins and the Yankees that they're not outstanding pitching, pitching rosters, but they're pretty good pitching rosters. Yep. The Yankees are a little deeper. They are a little deeper, especially in the bullpen, but everybody's got good bats on both, on both those teams. So I think we're going to see high scoring games. People love to see that it gets the ratings up. So, yep. Um, playoffs start tonight, actually. Um, the wild card starts tonight with, uh, what is it? I wrote it down. The Brewers and the Nats yep. tonight. So, you know, wild card baseball has started and it's, you know, you can, it's kind of cool. You can feel it in the air. They, there's a little bit of a chill. There is, you know, it just feels like October baseball and it's the first time the twins have been in it for, I think 10 or 11 years, uh, in postseason. So it's, you know, it's very exciting. Yeah. Um, as for the football season is uh, still underway, so my Green Bay my Green Bay Packers lost an absolute heartbreaker in yeah. uh, the closing seconds of regulation. Yeah, um, was a... with a tip ball that turned into an interception. Yep. Uh, I I told you know me screaming at the TV like ten times during that game to run the ball when they're you know first and goal at the one. But what do I know? What do you know? Yeah. Uh, and they keep throwing the ball, but apparently I don't know anything. And then. Uh, I'm I'm sorry, but your Vikings got embarrassed by the Bears. I they mean, really did. <laughs> you know, just when you think the uh, offensive line issues were yeah. taken care of, well, maybe against an average defense. But if you have Khalil Mack, yeah, opposite anybody, anybody, Khalil Mack versus uh, what? Well, you know, the joke from Saturday Night Live is, you know, the entire seventy-two Dolphins versus Mike Ditka. Ditka that's you know. Right. <laughs> So basically, you take yeah. the entire seventy-two Dolphins with Khalil Mack and Mack and everything. Every. So it's uh, he it, beast moded us. But it's fun to watch him play, uh, unless he's playing against your team. That's right. 
Um, so guys, this week, um, we have, uh, you know, a lot of fun stuff going on on howaboutthatcigar.com. Uh, there are some new reviews, uh, posted very soon. Some, some really cool new cigars that, uh, that I got to try and sit down and, and take some really thorough notes and really kind of taste them and see what they were all about. Um, and had a great time. Uh, I want to give a, a, a shout out to the guys at Tobacco Grove in Maple Grove, Minnesota, and uh, to Mike Rosales from Roma Craft Tobacco. There was an event mm-hmm. from Roma Craft at that shop on Thursday night last week and just had a great time sitting down, talking to them. And, uh, you know, just uh, we just kind of just hung out and talked for a long time, you know, and enjoying that great cigar culture that we love so much. Uh, if you guys are watching right now live on Facebook, please feel free to put questions and comments in as we go along. Uh, and we are super excited tonight. Um, we have a really great guest that we want to introduce to you guys. Um, is it Urkel? It is, it is Steve Urkel from the TV show Family Matters. <laughs> <laughs> and no, we have uh, uh, from MLB Cigar Ventures, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Mike. Bellady. What's up, guys? Mike, how's it going? Mike. Uh, everything's great. Couldn't be uh, couldn't be much better. If I complain, no one will listen anyway. <laughs> Question. If uh, Tom Brady gets hit by a bus, does Boston cease to exist? No, because no. No, <laughs> we, we, would be, we would be very upset, obviously, because it's not like we have a viable op- option to turn to. But You'd be okay? You know, You'd make it through? I think so. I think I think it, I think that uh, the world will be a worse place if that happens. I don't think Bill Be- Bill Belichick even knows the name of the backup quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? Yeah, it's like if if for if if sadly Brady gets hurt, Bill's going to be like, get the other guy, what, whatever what, his name, who is get, get, just get the other guy and get him warmed up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look. Bottom line is, if Tom Brady goes down. Uh, there's no, they're not winning the Super Bowl this year, anyways. Yeah, so yeah, sure. they, everyone says, Oh, they have to get a better backup. Well, not really, because what backup are you going to have to win the Super Bowl? Right, it doesn't matter. See, in in these parts, if you don't win the Super Bowl, nothing else really matters that much. Yeah, well, you know, so. I mean, the the uh, the backup who wins Super Bowls is Tom Brady. That's true. From Blake. yeah, he he's the last one to do it. Yeah. <laughs> And and poor Drew Bledsoe. I oh. mean, that guy. He he was just he was the consummate. Um, he was the consummate injury slash. Yeah. You know, because who took over for him in New England? Tom Brady. Yeah. Who took over yeah. for him in Dallas? Tony Romo. Oh, that's right. And I I'm not saying Tony, to Tony Romo. I am not. Don't don't put that on me. I'm not saying Tony Romo's in the same caliber as Tom Brady. What I'm saying is Tony Romo was a very good quarterback. He was very he was very well loved. Yeah. By his by by the community and you know the Dallas fans, and you know Drew Bledsoe, the poor guy, he he gets hurt and he just fades into the background while somebody else you know gets all the. Uh, gets all the glory so right but you know a lot of people forget that uh brady hurt himself in the afc championship game against pittsburgh and he hurt his ankle and the, came out and so this is the first to 2001 the same year that, they, that brady that bledsoe brady got hurt okay brady, and bledsoe came in and played incredibly well and threw some pretty key touchdown passes 
and there was actually a debate as to whether they should go back to Brady or keep wrong Bledsoe play in the Super Bowl. And they went back to Brady. But there was actually there was a debate not only amongst like analysts, but here in Boston, there was a heated debate. There's a whole I'm a Bledsoe guy, I hate Brady at that yeah. time. People and then there was the Brady people said I hate not hate Bledsoe, but you gotta go with Brady. And there was a there was a heated debate here about that um back then. Now the debate's pretty much over. Yeah. <laughs> obviously. Yeah, that debate uh, ended about uh oh basically by the well, by the time they won the Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah, probably. But yeah. then I think the game winning drive, uh, which uh, I just that set up Vinatieri for the game winning uh, uh, field goal yeah. in under a minute, that ended it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yep. so. yeah. Well, I want to welcome everybody to the show. Uh, Joseph, Michael, David, Chuck, thanks for joining us, guys. Please feel free to, to uh, write us your. Do what I'm doing. Like and, and sh- share it. Share it out to your favorite Facebook cigar groups. I got like 47 groups I got to share it out to. Um, Mike, talk to us a little bit about. So one of the things I thought about when when I knew we were going to be talking to you tonight is, you know, you're somebody who came you you're not from a tobacco family. You didn't you know, you, you're not one of these families. What do you mean? Look at me. I don't look like I'm from a tobacco family. <laughs> and, and you're not, you know, like third or fourth generation, you know, cigar maker. You that's right. You know, you came from the world of big finance and you got into the cigar game. And and you hear people say every day, I have so many friends and over the years, I've heard so many people say, man, I'm going to get in the cigar business someday. I'm going to get in the cigar business someday. And everybody I know that has worked in the cigar business for any length of time says, be careful what you wish for. So one of the things I thought about tonight was, you know, talking to you is, uh, you know, and I'm sure you've heard the same thing from people before saying, oh, I want to, you know, I want to start a cigar business or I want to get in the cigar business. And I thought in talking to you, you would be the voice of reason talking to that person saying, so you want to start a cigar company. (laughs) So, so you, you know, you've got this history in big finance and you know, you, I know that you had an earlier company that, um, that ended and then you started MLB cigar ventures, right? What, you know, after, after you had that first business and then why, what made you decide I'm going to jump back into this and I'm going to, I'm going to start MLB cigar ventures, even though that first thing didn't go the way I wanted it to, I'm going to start this new thing and I'm going to take another run at it because I know I can. And I know that I've got the people behind me to make it work. Yeah. So, um, so my first cigar company, uh, was a company called Tiant cigar group. Uh, and Tiant Cigar Group made a cigar called El Tiante, which was named after legendary Red Sox pitcher and the winningest Cuban pitcher of all time, Major League Cuban pitcher of all time, Louis Tiant. And uh, I became friendly with the Tiant family. I'm still very, uh, I still love Louis Tiant a lot. Uh, my my kids call him Uncle Louis. Um, so, <laughs> um, you know, he's a great guy. Uh, his son had a cigar company called El Tiante Cigars, uh, asked me to invest in the company, knowing my investment uh, background. And I basically I said I would do it under a few conditions. One was we had to reblend the cigars because uh, with all due respect to my good friend, Louis Tiant, the cigars were unsmokable. 
um, the first iteration of them. Uh, two, they were kind of gimmicky. They had, you know, they were red, white, and blue. They looked like Red Sox cigars. Uh, so it's tough to market those on a mass scale if they're so targeted to a, one local uh, area. Uh, and um, three, I had to own half the company. I wasn't just going to invest money and then walk away. Yeah. So we came to that agreement. Uh, those three stipulations were agreed upon. Uh, we moved production from where it was to uh, My Father Cigars. Uh, I blended uh, two cigar blends with Don Papin and Jaime Garcia, which I might actually be able to find some in my humidor. Here's one right here, actually. Oh, you here's, got some uh, OG blends? Yeah, here's, this is one of the first ones I ever did. This is the El Tiante Habano Oscuro. Oh, yeah. Um, and then I saw the other one here. And here's um, the El Tiante Habano Rosado mm. uh, here. Uh, two great blends. The business was taking off, doing exceptionally well. We were getting a lot of notoriety. Um, uh, we were getting ratings well into the 90s at all of the major publications. Smoke Magazine, which was a big thing back then, uh, wrote a cover story on our company. And as you know, not many magazines write cover stories on a company, especially a new company. Yeah, uh, They did a whole cover story about us. European Cigar Journal wrote uh, a piece about us and called our cigars the world's best buy in premium cigars. Uh, and, and we weren't even distributing in Europe at that time. Okay. So they found our cigars and smoked them and said, these are the best cigars for the money in the world. And our cigars were fairly normally priced boutique cigars. They weren't expensive. They weren't inexpensive, similar to what my cigars are now. They're kind of like middle of the road price range. Um, so um, it was going exceptionally well. Without getting into too many details and getting into the weeds too much, my business partner did something he shouldn't have done, which was not Louis, it was his son. Um, I decided that I had to close that company down because of that. And at that point, I had had enough contacts with enough retailers so that I could, I, I knew I could get my cigars. If I came up with a new cigar, I could get them into plenty of retailers especially here in New England, where I'm from. Uh, so I launched my first blend under MLB Cigars, which is this one here, the uh, original Imperia uh, Blue Label, I call it. It's got a sort of turquoise blue uh, band. Uh, I launched that one blend in four sizes, marketed them only exclusively here in New England. Um, it went really well. And then I went to the 2015 trade show in New Orleans, and found some sales reps and started to expand into the Southeast. And, and then the rest is history. Now I have five blends and I'm in many, many States around the country and uh, things are going pretty well. And what um, that first blend you said that you guys are, that you released the Imperia, the, you call it the mm -hmm. blue label. Um, tell us why you chose that name and uh why, how you went about blending that first cigar that you said, okay, this is the one, this is the, this is going to be the first track on the album that we release out to the public and, and how that blend came about. Sure. So, um, you were correct in stating that I don't have tobacco in my blood. You know, I don't have that multi-generational. I didn't grow up around this stuff. And at that point I was still very much, um, rough around the edges when it comes to, uh, putting cigar blends together. Um, I had some enough knowledge to be dangerous, but I needed some guidance, right? So uh, I decided after having worked with Pepin and Jaime Garcia, 
which I mean, Pepin's one of the living legends in cigar blending, right? Amen to that. Um, that I needed to make sure that I worked with folks that were of equal caliber. Uh, one of my slogans that I've used over the years with my company is developed by legends, smoked by connoisseurs. And I'm not saying I'm the legend. I'm saying the people I work with are the legends. Yeah. Um, so I partnered up uh, on the blending process with uh, Manuel Quesada. Um, I uh, uh, and blended the uh, Imperia. Now, Manuel and Pepin have something in common. Uh, one, they are um, they're both um, uh or inaugural members of the Cigar Aficionado Hall of Fame. Yeah. So um, Manuel's a legend, been doing this forever. He's one of these guys that does have tobacco in his heritage and in his blood. Uh, he's lived it his whole life, his, uh, you know, with his, his father, grandfather, you name it. So I went down to Santiago, met with Manuel Quesada, uh, blended the Imperia, uh, and released it. Uh, I started my company in 2013. I released the Imperia in 2014. Uh, and then released, I've released two other Imperia blends that I've done with Manuel Quesada since then. And I've done, uh, two other blends with Ernesto Perez Carrillo, which are under the David P. Ehrlich brand. By the way, Ernesto Perez Carrillo is also one of the other inaugural members of the Cigar Aficionado Hall of Fame. So I've been very blessed and fortunate to, as a guy who doesn't have a cigar heritage or uh, didn't have a lot of connections in the industry, uh, when I first entered it to be able to work with three of the living legends in cigar blending and in tobacco to make all my blends. And it's been, I've learned a lot from all of them and every blend I come out with, I have a lot more input on. Yeah. Uh, and so, so now, so for instance, the PLM series, which is my most recent blend that I came out with, which has gotten incredible accolades and been named cigar of the year on several lists. And there you go. There it is right there. There it is right um, there. We're smoking it right now. You know, it, it's really a special cigar. Uh, and, uh, in fact, uh, Will Cooper from Cigar Coop just said it's the best San Andreas Maduro to ever come out of Ernesto's factory. Mm. Uh, so it's gotten a lot of accolades. I can't make that cigar fast enough, frankly. Uh, it's really frustrating because I've never really had a back order issue, but I'm having a problem making boxes fast enough. I have cigars. I can get the cigars made. It's the boxes that are the problem. But um, anyway, so uh, um, I've been fortunate to work with three of the most legendary tobacco people ever and yeah. i've learned a lot from all of them and they all do they, they you know making cigars all of these people do a lot of this there's a lot of a lot of the stuff is the same from one person to the next right from the process of making the cigars and so forth sure and from a general sense it's all the same right when you get down there's just tiny little nuances that differentiate say my father's cigars from quesada from carrillo from placencia from you name it from aj fernandez um and so uh to take those little nuances from three of the biggest legends in the industry has really given me perspective on how to blend cigars that has helped me along the way. And that PLM series is the cigar that I had the most input on uh, since I've been in the industry, which I'm pretty proud of. Yeah. It's uh, it's, it's a blend that I was fortunate enough to be able to smoke before. And um, I knew that I wanted to, uh, have it for uh garrett and i to smoke while we were live on the show here so i uh, i'm gonna shout out to don wiggins from underground i uh uh bought these from uh underground cigar.com and uh it's uh yeah mike it's one of my uh one of the favorite 
you know, small batch blends that I've had in the last few years. And, uh, you know, I appreciate it. You guys really, you know, Fantastic. I mean, obviously, I mean, it's, it's Ernesto, like you said, yeah. you, I mean, you've been really, um, you know, those things, those moments come along and you have to grab onto them and make the most of them. And the fact that you got to work with, um, you know, Quesada and Garcia and, uh, Carrillo, I mean, that's, that's like, you know, uh, Babe Ruth and, and Mickey Mantle and Ted Williams, you know, being on your team, it's, it's, it's pretty outrageous. What, how do you, do you, do you still have those moments where, you know, you, you maybe, uh, get to pick the brain of, you know, somebody in the industry that, that you just think to yourself, man, I get to learn from this person. What is that like? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty awesome. I would taking your analogy about Babe Ruth and Mickey Mantle and, you know, so it's, it's almost like I got hitting instruction from those guys, right? Mm. It's not so much that they're on my team. They are a part of my team and I consider them uh, integral to what I do, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but it's really, I learned how to hit, a baseball from Ted Williams, Mickey Mantle, and Babe Ruth. I mean, you, you can't, you know, the, the Tobacconist Magazine uh, did an article about my company and me back in 2017, and they titled the article The Fortunate One. And oh, yeah. it's because I, I always tell people what I just told you guys, and I'm very fortunate, I'm very blessed to have been able to work with the people that I've worked with. And I really believe that. I'm, I'm, it's very humbling. Uh, I mean, I came from investment, the investment industry, and I had no experience in tobacco and my first entry into the cigar industry, I'm blending cigars with Pepin Garcia. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, and then I go to Manuel Quesada. Crazy. Yeah. And then I, then I approached Ernesto Perez Carrillo in New Orleans and he right away says, yeah, let's do the project. And I'm going, well, am I, what? I mean, I got to pinch myself. Yeah. I, no, I was expecting to have to sell these people on why they should do business with me. And now I've got, I'm working on a, a cigar currently um that's going to be out next year uh with agonorsa oh wow and and i have to tell you that it might it's it could be my best work to date i i I, but you know that's up to the the customers that smoke it obviously but uh it's a pretty spectacular cigar so i'm I'm really excited to release that one i haven't even named it yet i've got i've got I, i mean it's going to be under the imperia brand but i'm not sure what i'm naming it okay now, uh, Mike, mind if we uh, switch gears a little bit? Sure. I, I did a bit of a deep dive into oh uh, some research here. Uh, <laughs> I we, thought I scrubbed all those porn videos. Dude, <laughs> we've got some video that's no. Um, I'd like to uh, something a passion that's close to my heart too is uh, working with youth, and I saw that you've done quite a bit of work with the West Bridgewater Youth Athletic Association. Could you tell us a little bit about that and um, what led to your 2016 uh, Service to Youth Award? Wow. I got to tell you, you have done incredible. <laughs> you really went deep. Um, I, that's amazing. No one's ever brought that up on any of the interviews I've done. Um, so I live in West Bridgewater, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my kids, when, when we built our house here, uh, my oldest daughter, who's now almost 21, was like two years old, not, e- not even two years old. Uh, so um, and we have two other kids since then. So they were all very young and they, you know, obviously I grew up, they played T-ball and they played soccer and they did all this, the youth sports. And I was involved in coaching them. Uh, and then um, 
the uh, several members of the board approached me to join the board and I didn't think I had the time to do it, frankly, and I really probably didn't have the time to do it. And I, but I reluctantly agreed to join the board of the uh, youth athletic organization. And then there was a lot of issues going on with, with, with uh, the administration of the board at that time. And being from Wall Street, um, we try to figure out the inefficiencies and inadequacies of an operation, whether, and usually it's a corporate operation, right? Uh, mm -hmm. And, and figure out how to fix those. Um, and so I was pretty critical of a few things to the point where, um, not in a nasty way, but, but, um, you know, constructive criticism stuff. And so finally, a few people said, well, why don't you just be president? And I said, absolutely not. <laughs> and they said, they said, no, you, you should be president. And they kept hounding me, hounding me. Finally, I reluctantly gave in. Um, and, uh, we had the, we had a meeting at my house, actually, um, actually sitting in the cigar room that I'm sitting in right now. And you can't see it, but out in the backyard, I have an outdoor kitchen with a kegerator and I had a keg in the kegerator <laughs> and, and the, uh, um, they, they like to say they beer boarded me into becoming <laughs> president, beer board. which is, which is probably feeling, true. I'm because feeling I that had, term, beer boarded. Yeah, so, so I drank plenty of beer that night, which I don't really drink a lot of beer. I'm more of a liquor guy, but, but uh, I agreed to become president. I became president. I was president for a couple of years. We completely overhauled the, the bylaws and everything else. And, and I've done a lot of other stuff with the board. I've coached and I've done fundraising all kinds of stuff to the point where in 2016, each year the board uh, recognizes one, sometimes two individuals for their service to youth uh, award. And it was in 2016 that I was the person that won the service to youth award. It was awarded that. Yeah. So I, and I just finally uh, coached my last game. Uh, I've coached my son in AEU basketball since he was in fourth grade. I coached my daughter who's now a freshman in college uh, my younger daughter is now a freshman in college. Uh, I coached her in high-level, very competitive, fast-pitch softball for many years, since she was like nine years old up until last year. And last August was the last game I ever coached. I've retired from coaching. I've been asked numerous times to get back into it, and I have respectfully said no, and I'm not going to allow them to bearboard bear board me into it either. <laughs> Well, I applaud your service to the youth. I think yeah, absolutely. giving to the youth is one of the best things that we can do. Um, I agree. Period. So <clears throat> I'll tell you an interesting story. The year I became president, I had El Teante cigars. So we have, my town is a tiny little town with about 6,800 people total in it. Um, so we're a small town uh, and we, but we have the distinction of running the longest running baseball youth baseball tournament in the state of Massachusetts. It's something like 55 consecutive years that we've run it. Um, and no one else has run consecutively for more years. So the first year I'm president, I had Louis Tian come and throw the first pitch. Out at oh the, my at gosh. The, at the, uh, wow. at the opening, opening ceremony. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> Man, that's, that I mean, fantastic. that's, <clears throat> I mean, and, do do the kids do the kids realize when they've got they had no idea legends right. yeah it's it's like i mean he's the, the coaches and the parents were like in awe the kids are like who's that 
Right. Um, there, <laughs> and then I'll tell you, I'll tell you I'll, in an extension of that story is there's a um, um, local pub here called the Boston Tavern. And so we do the first pitch, we do the ceremony, the games are going on. Me, the vice president of the organization, one of the other um, officers of the organization, Louis Tian, go to the Boston Tavern to have something to eat and a couple of drinks. We sit down, we get the, the menus, and I had never noticed this before, but they had an El Tiante burger. Oh, wow. Mm. So he's looking at it going, hey, they can't use my name on that burger. <laughs> so I'm going, oh, shit, we're going to have a scene now. So he orders the burger. He didn't even care what was on. He's like, if they're going to name it after, I got to eat this freaking burger. <laughs> so he, so now the the manager of the place recognizes Louis and comes Uh-oh. over, and he brings him the menu and he goes, "Can you sign the menu right near the uh, your burger?" He goes, "I'm going to sign this menu. You shouldn't be using the name, but since I like the burger, I'm going to let you use it. <laughs> <laughs> if I didn't like this burger, I would tell you to take it off." But right. Oh man! So that menu is still hanging up, signed by Louis Tian with the El Tiante uh, uh, on the wall. At the oh, what a great memory! Um, Mike, tell uh, tell us and everybody who's watching what uh, what are you drinking and smoking right now? So I'm smoking the original Ehrlich, which is. Uh, I'll talk about the blends in a second, but it's a it's a original Ehrlich, and I'm drinking a, a bourbon. I'm drinking basil hated tonight. Nice. How about you? What are you drinking? Oh, you know what I'm drinking. I'm I got this new bottle. Well, I got a couple of same bottle. I got uh, the uh, Henry McKenna ten year. And I had it. I'm going to have to try it. I had not tried it. I had, I bought two bottles of it and I just cracked this bottle open a little while ago. And I got to tell you, I'm very glad that I bought these bottles because it's, it's very good. It's, I mean, it's not like, like I said, before we went live, it's not Weller, but it's really good bourbon. And, uh, I'm rocking the, uh, (laughs) what is that? Uh, two week body armor. I got to put, I'm going to put my glasses on for that thing. All right. Orange mango. Is that like a Red Bull type thing? Like an energy no. drink? Uh, it's it's more like a... Uh, uh, it's like healthy and stuff. It is. It's got vitamins and coconut water. and Yeah. Uh, but it's still got... That quite sounds a bit of, awful, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Vitamins and coconut water. <laughs> I'll stick with the basil hate and things. Yeah. yeah. I'm good with this. <laughs> um, so, Mike, back when you, you know, because there... Uh, there was uh you know there was a time that you were kind of doing double duty as far as you know the the you were still doing a lot of the finance work and you were still doing a lot of the cigar work but you know now as far as i know now you're you know most most of your time is spent with you know with the cigar business but mm-hmm. how did you strike a balance you know when you when you started to shift you know, your career focus, how did you strike a balance and, you know, keep from burning yourself out from, you know, putting a hundred percent into each thing? So, um, I've never fully left the finance world. I kind of, I've almost fully left it. Um, yeah. I do some consulting. Uh, I've done not a lot. Um, financial firms have come to me to do some consulting over the years and, um, I've done that. Uh, and I have, um, been involved in a few startup companies, uh, and I'm still involved in three startup companies. Uh, and I do some consulting for them because I, as a equity owner of the startup companies, <laughs> I want to make sure they succeed and 
they kind of like my advice. So yeah, um, it, it works. It works pretty well that way. Um, so I haven't completely left finance, but uh, I've almost completely left it. Uh, and, uh, and when I first started doing this, I was very full time in, in investment management, and um, it was a it was a juggling act. But remember, uh, one of the reasons I didn't really distribute my cigars outside of New England is because I didn't have the time to travel around the country the way I have in the last few years. Um, but so I so I, I was home. Right. And a lot of the cigar stuff happens at night, you know, events, yeah. uh, weekends, events, um, things like that. Um, and the administrative stuff, frankly, I can do that anytime. There's only a few things you can't do anytime. Like if I have to deal with the factory, I got to do it during factory hours. Right. I had to go down to the factories every once in a while, but not a lot. I was dealing with legends and great factories. So I didn't, it's not like I had to look over their shoulder every month or every six weeks. Um, but I was down there enough to make sure everything was going properly. Uh, but I didn't travel much. It wasn't until 2015 that I started to travel more, but even then it was really just a couple of territories. So I, I monitored my growth to the point where I managed my growth to a point where I could do both. And I, and I was able to do it. It was, um, it was tough. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it, 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 I didn't sleep a lot. You know, I was doing a lot of stuff late night for the cigar company. Uh, and I was doing uh, my normal stuff uh, for the investment management stuff uh, during the normal work hours. And of course, you know, there's occasionally a call or two that you got to do for the cigar company during business hours. But my company was really good to me. The, the, the investment company I was with, they understood what I was doing. They knew I was um, producing for them, that I was doing a good job for them. The results were good. So they, they kind of gave me a long leash. Yeah. Um, so when when you started really... Uh, putting the idea in your head together for MLB Cigar Ventures, and then things started moving. What did you find was the biggest um, or the most important thing when it con- when it came to really building your brand? You know, going out there and getting the cigar in people's hands and things like that. What did you find was the most important thing for brand building, and and what kind of mistakes along the way did you learn from? That's a great question. Um, you know, I, I kind of took the easy road out, uh, easy way out when I first started with when I launched my first blend under MLB because I did it in my backyard, right? So I knew all these people. So they had a connection with me. And the reason why that blend is called Imperia by Mike Bellity is not because I want my name on every cigar I make. In fact, you'll see my name is not on the David Pierlick cigars at all. And um, I'll explain to you why it's on. Well, loosely explain to you why it's on the Imperia cigars, but the reason I put by Mike Bellity on the original Imperia is because I knew I was going to only distribute it in New England to start. Okay. And I knew that if I had my name on the band, customers in New England would say, oh, that's Mike Bellity's guy. I got to try it. Right. Because I knew I had El Tiante and all of that. Uh, so um, I did. That was an e- that was an easy entry into the into marketing my brand because everyone, most people in New England knew who I was. I had a connection with them and it was the reason I launched a brand in the first place. I didn't have to do it. I did it because my contacts I made with retailers and store managers and so forth uh, with my El Tiante days uh, allowed me an easy entry into those stores with my own cigar. Uh, When I expanded outside of New England, the biggest challenge, frankly, uh, by far, there's not even a close second. The biggest challenge is finding 
sales reps that will take on a small, relatively unknown boutique brand of cigars and give it the attention that it needs in order to thrive in their market. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a really, that's, that's been a challenge. It's still a challenge, frankly. Um, what I know to be absolutely true is that if my, if I give all one of, if I give everybody I meet one of each of my five blends to smoke, I don't, not everyone's going to like all five. Some might like all five. Some might like two, some might like three, some might only like one, but if I can get my cigars into enough people's hands, they're there there's there's going to be a blend in there for everybody there might be three blends in there for some people there might be all five that people like yeah uh, and it's just a matter of making sure that uh they the the customers the actual folks that the cigar lovers out there the people that smoke the cigars that buy the cigars at the retail stores get to try them still to this day i go to stores sometimes even here in new england where people are like, i've never heard of this cigar yeah. And I go, well, you know, I've been around a long time, whatever. I started in 2011 with another company and I give them the whole story. And but once we we connect and we get the cigars in their hands, they tend to sell on their own after that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really about a per- it's really about making a connection personally. Yeah. In a lot of ways, too. Um, you know, it's uh, one of the things I pride myself on is connecting with the people with with the people that support cigar companies and buy cigars and when if a store allows me the opportunity to build my brand in their store through in-store uh, events uh through um uh, promotions if they partner with us in a way that when i'm not there they may they i'm not saying they need to do this all the time but it'd be nice if once in a while they when someone comes in they said oh you like that cigar you should try this cigar and they hand them one of mine yeah. If that, if mm-hmm. I can find stores that do that, yep. Then my cigars do exceptionally well. The places that I have the large, the most trouble in, are the places that have the massive humidors where the managers and the store owners sit behind a counter and customers walk in and the customers just go in and pick whatever cigar they're going to pick and they come out and they buy them and they never suggest anything. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of those. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not here to tell anyone how to run their business. Um, I am. I know if. I know if I ran a, a, a retail shop, I'd be constantly making suggestions to folks yes. to try new things because to me, that'll, that, that customer will appreciate that you took the time to learn what they like yeah. and made good recommendations and you will become a larger part of their cigar purchasing destinations, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so if I can get stores that really support boutique brands that really... Uh, that don't just sit behind a counter and actually help to suggest different cigars than other people might normally like. Because otherwise, what happens is, you know, Joe Schmo walks in, walks into the humor, goes to the cigar he always buys, or goes to one of the four cigars he always buys, yeah. and is not going to try a new cigar. You know, so you, you, have to, you have to have a partnership. You have to build that relationship with the, the folks that influence their customers at the stores. Uh, and that's what I try to do. And that's what I've been successful at. Yeah. And, the, and we've talked about that multiple times on this show is that every business, because you've been in the, you know, in, in the big corporate world and, you know, just the mom and pop cigar shops, but every business is when you take it down to its core, it's about relationships, but there's something more so about the cigar business that is, it is so relationship driven. 
There's no doubt about that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just no doubt. And look, I, I have stores uh, that, like, I'll give you the underground. The reason why I do so well at the underground is because right out of the gate, I built a connection with them and they have a very different atmosphere yeah. than most. And they have that yeah. Facebook group and in the Facebook group, it allows you to interact with their customers in a very unique way um, every day. Yeah. And so I was able to build my presence within that their customer base very well. Now, if my cigar sucked, that wouldn't matter. Right. So right. the cigar, yeah. I'm, the cigars still have to be good. If the cigars suck, it doesn't matter if they like you, you got to have good cigars. Right. So I have good cigars. It's just a matter of making sure that the customers think of me when they say, oh, I'm going to smoke a cigar today. Yeah. And that that's where the personal connection comes in. Yeah. A hundred percent. We got a question here actually from uh, one of our viewers. I'm going to pull it up on screen here. Garrett. Oh, this will be good. Yeah. So from Daniel, a.k.a. Big Bear, says, what are some of the newer boutique cigar owners that have impressed you? That's a great question. Um, There's a few. So uh, one, I'm actually uh, very impressed with the amount of uh, notoriety and and. and uh, spreading throughout the the industry that Southern Draw has done, and thankfully, thankfully, you know, amazingly, you know, Robert and I started our company about the same time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I had never heard of Southern Draw, and I happened to be in San Antonio for an investment management uh, trip, and um, I walked in the club humidor, and there happened to be a Southern Draw event going on, and I I walked in, I'd never heard of them. And, and, uh, they were brand new and I was brand new and I just wanted to have a cigar. So I walked in the club humidor and I met Robert, great guy. And, and, uh, met Sharon and their sales rep, um, uh, Brad Fisher, who's still their sales rep, who's a, one of the, the really great reps out there. Yeah. Um, and he, I, I have a policy that if I walk into somebody's event, I buy their cigars. I mean, I'm not going to go in. So I bought a box of cigars that I had never smoked before. So I walk in and I said to Brad, I said, you know, what cigars, should, what do you have? And he said, well, we got this. I go, well, I want something that's, you know, tor- you know medium to full. Um, he goes, try the kudzu. I go, okay, great. I'll take a box. What sizes do you have? He goes, you've never smoked a cigar. I go, I'm in the cigar business and <laughs> I walked into your event. I'm going to buy a box. I trust that they're going to be good. You told me that AJ Fernandez makes them. You told me a little story about them. I'm sure they're going to be fine. And if not, I'll hand them out. I still, to Kudzu, I really love still. Um, but I, he's impressed me. Uh, Nick Melillo, uh, who uh, is a larger boutique now. Yeah. But, uh, I love all of his stuff. Um, uh, let's see. There's some There's some smaller ones that a lot of people probably haven't heard of that I really like. Noel Rojas makes great cigars. Oh, absolutely. Yep. And absolutely. a lot of people around the country don't know who he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's it's... And it's that's a that's the you know, but he is a great cigar blender. Yeah. Um, I uh, I like a lot of what um, um, I'm trying to think of uh, the cigar I just had uh, recently, but I like I like Saka stuff. I like, um, but I think if I was to narrow it down to smaller boutique, and and I don't think Southern Draws 
necessarily a small boutique anymore, but um, they're in a lot of several hundred retailers around the country, so they're doing okay. Uh, but uh, I, I like what Robert Holt's done. I mean, I think yeah. his cigars are good. Yep. Um, and his marketing's good. Mm-hmm. He did a great. He's done. He, he's nobody has been able to get uh, to, to become embraced by folks like you guys and the other bloggers and podcast folks as quickly as he did. And that that yeah. goes to him, his ability to build relationships. Absolutely. Um, so one of the things I've always wondered about, and I, I ask a lot of people this just cause I'm curious what it looks like for each person who's in the business. Um, you know, cause I have, uh, a long time ago, um, a sales background, but cigars are, you know, they're, they're sort of their own, they're sort of their own category. So if you can paint a picture for people, you know, because you have some people that, that help, you know, and, and handle sales for you, but you also, you know, you do events, you go into shops, you, you, you know, you're, you're spending your own time with your own, you know, your own boots on the ground, getting things done, paint a picture for us, you know, for what it looks like for you and, and one of your salespeople walking into a cigar shop for the first time to sell them on your cigar. You know, you say, we, we've got this, this, you know, this company, MLB Cigar Ventures, you're walking. How does it start for you guys? Is it just walking in the shop? Does, does it start with a cold call? Does it start with a relationship beforehand? How does that, how does that typically look for you guys? So uh, these days it's a little bit, it's not easy, but it's easier than it used to be uh, because I've been around for longer and more people know who I am and know my cigars and have heard of them. But at the end of the day, you know, if you walk into a retail shop and there's a lot of empty shelf space, that's not a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so there's humidors are typically already full. Right. So in order to have that store bring my cigars in and present them properly, somebody's got to go. And I would never go into a store and say, that cigar has got to go put mine in instead of that one. I don't do that. I don't talk about other people's cigars that way. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I have to impress them enough so that they have it, they will replace one of the, the cigars on their shelves uh, with mine, right? Yeah. And to me, and I always tell this to my um, sales reps, I always say, look, this isn't so much about the blend. You know, it, it, frankly, the, at the end of the day, the what's in that cigar doesn't matter that much to the store owner or to the store manager. What matters is, they need to believe that if they put it on their shelf, it's not going to sit there forever, that it's going to turn. And so we need to tell them what we do to help them to build our brand in their store, whether it be cutting lights and swag and in-store events where I come yeah. down and things like that, how all of that works. Um, but we have to tell them what our formula for success is. And we don't, we don't need to make anything up. We do what we do. And here's how we do it. And it works. And we know it works because we've done it in several territories. And so if the retailer is willing to, again, I use that word, this word all the time, partner with us in this effort for us to build our brand in their store, we will build our brand in their store. And if they do it, we will never forget that they've done it. And we will do a lot of extra things for them. Yeah. Um, If they don't do it, it's hard for us to justify doing a lot of extra things for them. Right. Yeah. So 
if we can get into a situation where we really what we need to do is convince them that look we're we know what we're doing we know how to build our brand in your store here's how we do it and if and if it's not in their store it's going to be in the stores around them and if and then they're going to want our cigars afterwards so it doesn't really it matters to us but it doesn't matter to us if they buy our cigars right away some of our most successful retailers uh, some of our largest supporters started off by saying no to us for a very long period of time. Yeah. But their competitors in the general area said yes to us. And then they started and, and cigar smokers don't only go to one store. Typically, you know, mm-hmm. they'll go to several stores within a certain radius of where they are. Right. So all of a sudden people that now are buying my cigars at store a go into store B that said no to me for the last six months. And say, hey, do you have Mike Bellity stuff? Do you have Imperial? Do you have David Pierro? And now all of a sudden they call. This just happened in Rhode Island recently. In my backyard, I had a store that didn't carry my stuff. And everyone around them did. And people just started going in and saying, why don't you carry this? Why don't you carry this? You should carry this. And they called me and they said, how come you haven't sold us your cigars? <laughs> and I said, <laughs> I what are you talking about? My sales rep's been in there. I've been in there. And so now they're one of our newer retailers, but already they're moving our cigars pretty well because they, and we explain our process. Look, we don't want to just sell you cigars. I tell people all the time, I'm not in the business of selling cigars. Yeah. I'm in the business of building my brand. Yep. So if I, if I have a store that says I want to buy your cigars, but I don't believe that they're going to be a good fit for us to build our brand, I'm going to tell them, I really appreciate that you want to bring our cigars in, but we have to do it the right way or I promise you it's not going to work. So here's what the right way is from our perspective. And we've done this over and over again, all around the country at lots and lots of retailers. And I explained to them the process and they, if they say, well, that makes sense to us, then we'll say, great. If they say, no, we really don't do that. This or the other. And I'll say, maybe you're not the right store for us. Yeah. Because the last thing I want to get is a situation where, a retailer says, well, you know, we brought in Mike's stuff, but it didn't sell. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> that, that's not a good thing. Um, and I know that if we can get the cigars in their regulars' hands right away, I know that enough of the regulars will come back and buy it again. Yeah. Especially if we can do in-store events. If we can have a cut and light with my sales rep and then do a larger event where I come in and, and, and meet the customers and so forth. That's how we build the brand, and that's how we get yeah. legs that where the, the the cigars sell for themselves when I'm not there. Yeah, a uh, couple viewer uh, things here. Allison says she misses your face. <laughs> Is um, that Allison from Texas? Um, I am not even going to attempt Allison's yeah, I, name. I don't try to pronounce her last name either. <laughs> her, her and her husband are really great people. Um, and then uh, Joseph says to tell us about the other guy. <laughs> Joseph, if, if this is a Joseph, I think it is. This is my sales rep here in New England. <laughs> so I'll t- this is, a, so Barry McDonald. Is oh, Barry. My, I've, met, I've met Barry. Yeah. Yeah. He's my VP of sales and uh, his family owned the David P. Ehrlich store in Boston. So the, the story behind the David P. Ehrlich brand is a pretty historic uh, story. David Pierlick was the second oldest tobacconist in America, going 
going back to 1868, and it was based in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, Barry's family owned that store for the last 40 or so years that it was in existence. It's no longer there because the city of Boston is making it impossible for tobacconists to stay in business in the city. Bummer. So um, when the David Pierlich store, the, the final, the, the last location, which was uh, called Churchill's Lounge by David P. Ehrlich, uh, which was a cigar bar in Boston, uh, went away. Um, Barry and I were friends. And the way we became friends is I bought my very first premium cigar from the David Pierlich store in Boston back in 1996, seven or eight, something like that. So um, we, I didn't want that brand to go away. It's got too much history. So Barry and I spoke and we said, look, let's put together, let's make a cigar under the David Pierlich brand. And um, so Barry is my VP of sales and there's a store in Connecticut that opened up. Uh, they opened their new location. They expanded and made a bigger location in a different town and they had a big grand opening and the mayor from the town was there and they had a big ribbon cutting and, and uh, they asked me to be there. And so Barry and I went down and it's actually one of the, it's my only branded lounge. I have a, a VIP room called the Imperia VIP boardroom. Oh, nice. Night. Nice in that in that uh, store. So um, we go down for the ribbon cutting and there's a lot of people there. The mayor's there and the owner of the store says, we've got a lot of people here. I want to thank. And he runs down the list and he mentions all these people. and He mentions me by name. And he says, and he sees Barry. And he goes, oh, and the other guy, he had <laughs> forgot. He forgot Barry's name. <laughs> so he forgot Barry's name. And uh, that's why Barry's the other guy. That's so <laughs> on his wall. He's got a wall in his store that is sort of like the wall of fame where he asks people in the industry to sign it. So Barry's signed it. It says Barry McDonald and it says, uh, AKA the other guy. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, real quick question for you. Wall street, Wolf of wall street, boiler room. Oh boy! Oh, you mean you like to rank them? And, if if you had to, you want them yeah, to rank them? Rank them. Okay, so we got to put other ones in there. We got uh, we got we got Wall Street, Wolf of Wall Street, yep. Boiler Room. Yep. Um. Did you see? Uh. Did you see the one called Margin Call? I did not. It was about the two thousand eight uh, crash. It's a small. It was a small time indie film. I recommend it. It was called Margin Call. It's a pretty good movie. Is that on like Netflix or any of those? Things? I think it is, yeah. But yeah, those three big ones: uh, Wall Street, um, Boiler Room, and Wolf of Wall Street. Rank right, so them, rank them top to bottom. I, I'm I've got nostalgia has earned some points for me, so Wall Street's got to be number one. Yeah, Boom. yeah. Yep. That said, greed is Wolf, good. Of, <laughs> Wolf of Wall Street is pretty awesome. Wasn't I it mean, great? Unbelievable! It shocked me. Yeah, it's, no, an amazing movie. I saw that movie for the first time on an airplane. Oh, I was I was fly. I fly a lot. So yeah, I'm on an airplane and they have Wolf of Wall Street. I go, Great, I'm gonna watch it. And I'm watching on this tiny little screen, right? Yep. I'm like, wow, what a movie! I had to come home and watch it again on a, on my TV because I wanted to see it on a bigger screen. Yep. That is an incredible movie. Yeah. Um, and frankly, if that came out first. I probably would pick that one, but but yeah. but I'm gonna go with Wall Street, Wolf of Wall Street, and then Boiler Room. Boiler Room's good, very good, yeah. but it's not Wolf of Wall Street to me is way better than Boiler Room as yeah. a movie. I mean, as a movie, yeah. Boiler Room, by the way, is uh, loosely based 
about a it's it's actually a it's it's actually fictional reality. It's based on a on a real company called Hibbard Brown. Okay, and I didn't a know. A lot that. of the stuff, a lot of the nonsense you see that the the brokers are doing in boiler room, act absolutely happened happened <laughs> in real life all over the place with these penny stock firms. Yeah. I actually have a neighbor of mine that lives that way um, who worked for Hibbard Brown back in the day. And he worked there for about six months and he had to leave because he's like, I can't do it. He goes, hey, I'm out. So, um, yeah, no, Boiler Room is actually loosely based on reality. I actually, cool. all of these are somewhat based on reality. But yeah, sure. But, uh, Boiler, but Boiler Room was more so. Um, uh, but I would have to say Wall Street than uh, Wolf of Wall Street than Boiler Room. Yeah. Did you um did you see the uh the big short? I did not. That, that's um, but I know one. I know I know the story of the big short. I that's another one about the 2008 crash. So the I recommend I highly recommend the big short and margin call. They're both about the the 2008 crash but they're they look at it from different perspectives. The big short looks at it from the guys obviously on the outside who who shorted the the mortgage bonds and then the margin call looks at it from the inside of the firm who dumped all their garbage um uh you know at the last minute to uh you know keep from well who basically screwed everybody by dumping all their garbage at the last minute so you know uh wall street is uh let's let's just say I mean, listen wall street is a very necessary thing we're talking about wall street i gotta pour a little more here yeah i just poured one too <laughs> Wall Street is a very necessary, and I think Wall Street does a lot of good. I mean, without Wall Street, we don't have business, right? Yep, um, absolutely. Companies don't start all of that stuff. Yep. But there's there's enough of there's enough of nonsense going that happens on Wall Street. I could bore, I could write a movie myself about all the things I've seen and heard and all of that stuff. Yeah. Um, that it's pretty sad. I mean, it's uh, it's pretty sad. So. Um. So. Take everybody through, you know, we've, we've talked a little bit, little bits and pieces here and there about some of, you know, some of the blends, but I want to take the, the audience through your blend portfolio. So, you know, if you just take it away kind of from the, the way that you would normally go through it. All right. So I'm going to go in order of the blend, in order of when the blends were released. Okay. So you have here the original Imperia blue label, um, Straight medium bodied cigar with, I, I try, my goal is to blend. I don't want any two of my cigars to be similar. And I think that you'll, if you smoke all five of mine, you'll notice that all five are very different from each other. And the next cigar I come out with that I'm doing with Agonors is going to be very different from these five. Um, so, and that's, that's on purpose. Oh, Barry McDonald just chimed in. Barry, yeah. well, good evening, gentlemen. <laughs> hey, Barry. Um, it's the other guy. It's the other guy. The other guy's on. The, the other guy just chimed in. <laughs> uh, so, um, straight medium body cigar, mostly Dominican. Uh, it's got a great wrapper called the Dominican HVA wrapper. It's a higher priming version of that wrapper. Uh, so, it uh, gives a little bit more, it hits your palate a little bit, palate a little bit more directly. Um, it's got a touch of Nicaraguan in the filler, but not much. Um, just, just to add a little bit of balance, but it's a, it's a straight medium body cigar, the mildest of my blends, even though the wrapper is darker than two of my other blends. It's one of the biggest misconceptions about cigars is the darker the wrapper, the stronger the cigar. Mm -hmm. That's not true. That's simply not true. There's no correlation between the two. 
Uh, yeah, we we talked about that that in one of our early uh, shows about uh, myths of the cigar world. Yeah, it's a big myth, and, yeah. and the problem is a lot of times people will come into an event of mine and they'll say, I, "I like mild to medium cigars," and I'll say, "Well, listen, this is the mildest cigar I have." And they say, "It's a little dark," and I'll go, "You have to trust me on this. Dark doesn't mean it's strong. Yeah, it just it, but this cigar is not going to overpower you." Uh, frankly, none of my cigars are going to overpower anybody. I'm not one of these guys that makes a cigar that punches you in the teeth. Yeah. Right. Uh, I blend cigars for flavor first and, and, and intensity of flavor is more important to me than intensity of strength. Yeah. So, uh, medium body, really great cigar. It's a cigar I smoke with, uh, coffee in the morning. Most of the time, second cigar I did was this one. It's called the Imperia Islero. Uh, this is actually the strongest cigar I make but it's deceptively strong. It's very refined in its strength. It's actually more naturally sweet than it is peppery or, or, or in your face. Uh, but it is a, a strong cigar. Also mostly Dominican in its uh, construction, uh, but uh, it's got a, a Ecuadorian Habano 2000 wrapper, and it's got a lot of Pennsylvania broadleaf in the filler, which gives it strength and some earthiness yeah. and some natural sweetness. Yeah, that Eslero, it was actually my favorite blend of yours until the, the PLM, but it's I still yeah. want yeah, it's it's a very unique blend. People, you know, when if you if if somebody doesn't if somebody's palate doesn't appreciate Pennsylvania broadleaf, they're gonna hate that cigar because it's yeah. loaded. Yeah. If it does appreciate Pennsylvania broadleaf, they're gonna love it. Yeah. So it's 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 probably my most polarizing blend. People people some people say I just don't like it, but the people that like it love it so much they keep going back to it and it sells really well. Yeah. Uh, the third blend is the original uh, David P. Ehrlich. Uh, this blend is a mostly Nicaraguan blend. Uh, it's got uh, 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 filler from Esteli and Condega. It's got an Esteli binder, and it's got uh, a, a little bit of La Canela Dominican uh, in the filler as well for some balance. It's got an Ecuadorian Sumatra wrapper. Uh, mm. Ernesto Perez Carrillo made his name using Ecuadorian yep. Sumatra. Yep, absolutely. Uh, so we wanted to utilize that as a, a, a on the first blend we did with him and this blend is really pretty awesome it's uh it's it's gonna be the it's the most peppery of the blends that i have although none of my blends are super peppery yeah. um, but it's it's really balanced it's very good cigar the next blend i did is another imperia it was the imperia aventador um and this blend is a medium plus cigar medium to full uh, mostly Dominican blend. It's got a lot of Peloto Cubano in the in the filler, which gives it a little bit of a little bit of spice, a little bit of Cubanesque feel, uh, and it's got an Ecuadorian uh, Habano wrapper. Uh, five different tobaccos in this blend. Very complex, uh, very balanced, a lot of flavor. Uh, so if somebody wants something that's medium, medium plus, this is a tremendous uh, cigar to try out. Yeah, and then the final one is the PLM series. Yes, mm, uh, we're smoking this it right one, now. Love it. This one, I'll tell you, the blending process for this cigar was pretty interesting. As I mentioned to you earlier, it's the cigar that I had the most input on. Um, so I would go to Ernesto and I'd say, Ernesto, uh, send me a cigar that has this wrapper, this binder, this filler, blah, blah, blah. And he'd say, I don't think you should do that. I think we should add this. And we'd collaborate. And he'd send me some test blends. And I smoked them. There you go. Yeah, I you smoked know. them. And uh, I didn't they weren't working for me. Yeah. Um, which is not uncommon, by the way, it's most of the time when you're blending a cigar, the first test blends you get aren't the right ones. So this is not a indictment of the blending capabilities of Ernesto by any stretch. He's a legend, but 
I got a blend. I, I got a test blend. Didn't like it. I got another one. So this went on four or five times. And I called Ernesto. I said, Ernesto, I think we're getting to, we're overthinking this, meaning I'm overthinking this. I said, I want you to send me the exact same binder and filler as the original Ehrlich with a San Andreas Maduro. Just mm, change okay. the wrapper to San Andreas Maduro. Okay. And he did. And he, he might have said, when you sent him that, he might have said, this guy's crazy. He, he actually sort of said that, not that okay. explicitly, but he sort of said, I don't think so. I said, well, yeah, let's try it. So he, he sent it to me, uh, actually brought it to the 2016 uh, or 17 trade show. And we released it in 2018, but he brought it. I smoked it. And um, it was a great cigar. And I called him and I said, look, we have it, but we just have to tweak it a little bit. Yeah. It's minor tweaks. We're going to tweak the binder filler. I mean, the filler combinations, the ratios of the tobacco. And I think we got it and we tweaked it a little bit. And that was it. That's the PLM. So the PLM is actually not very different than the original Ehrlich other than a wrapper and a minor tweak to the ratios of the filler tobaccos. Yeah. And um, like I said, the, you know, that Islero, I, I loved it a lot. And then I smoked this PLM um, actually and we discussed this before we went live, but with you, you know, at a, at a party in Vegas at the PCPR in, in 2018 and the, the PLM, you know, you know how IPCPR is. You're, you're smoking yeah. you know, way too many cigars every day. And, and this was a party at the end of the day after we'd probably each smoked 12, 15 cigars. And the, the flavor of this blend, the, the PLM series blend, the flavor cuts through a dead palate which is it, it it's it's one of those things where you know guys who smoke a lot of cigars a day and I'll I'll have days even now where you know I'll, I'll have a day off or whatever and you know I don't have much on my schedule have a lot of cigars that day and you want a cigar at the end of the day that's going to cut through a dead palate and and this blend this PLM series blend has that it has those characteristics that that drive past sort of dullness and it's it's uh, it's it's a blend that I think uh, honestly I think even somebody who's only a couple months into their cigar experience can can enjoy. It's not going to overpower them, but it's going to give yeah. them it's going to give them that next sort of next uh, chapter of flavor profile that they you know maybe they've been into Connecticut's or Sumatras. It's going to give them that next chapter of flavor profile that they they've maybe been a little too scared to experience. Well, and the other thing that I'm, this is the first time for me on this PLM. And the thing that I love is the amount of flavor that I'm getting, the transitions that have come through in the cigar. And uh, typically with a cigar with this much flavor, I'm starting to get meat sweats. But (laughs) (laughs) we use that term a lot on here. Not here. Um, So I love the fact that this has so much flavor but it doesn't have all that nicotine um, power to it. Right. And I, dude, I don't know whether to smoke it or rub it on my face. <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't even know how to respond to that, but uh, there is but, a response, Mike. I recommend yeah. smoking it, but I'm know. just glad I said, rub it on your face. I don't know where you were going. When you said rub it. Uh, it could have gotten weird. Yeah, it could have. Um, well, 
you know, that cigar is very balanced. It's um, it's very refined. It's very very balanced. It's it's not an overpowering. None of my cigars are overpowering. Um, it's it's just that that cigar um, is a cigar that if unless somebody just doesn't like San Andreas Maduro wrappers, and I've had a few people that say I just don't like San Andreas. It's not my palate. And I'll tell them, look, you should try it anyways. But if you don't like it, mm-hmm. I, I would not, you're not going to hurt my feelings. Yeah. I mean, some of those folks have said, you know what? I don't like San Andreas typically, but this one I like a lot. And others have said, I don't like it because I don't like San Andreas. But, but uh, that San Andreas wrapper with the, with the, the mix of uh, – I've rubbed it on my face while holding a picture of Mike. Wow. <laughs> not <laughs> weird at all. Thanks, Keith. <laughs> Keith is a great guy that uh, is probably he might be the guy that loves my cigars more than anybody anywhere in the country. Uh, it's uh, so he actually was there was a picture in that Tobacconist magazine article where they just grabbed some pictures off of my uh, Facebook page and stuff. And one of the pictures was a picture that I had with Keith. So Keith made it into the back of this magazine. <laughs> but uh is that the number but that's one? That's a guy. Yeah. The PLM is very balanced. It's not overpowering, but the flavor is intense with flavor. Uh, and it doesn't, and you can smoke it all the way down to the nub. I mean, I, if you don't use a cigar stick or poker, whatever you call it, you might want to use it on that one. It is pretty awesome. Yeah. Pretty awesome cigar. We talk about this a lot that I'm one of those because sm- some smokers are really sensitive to nicotine strength. Some are not. I'm not sensitive to it at all. I can somebody can hand me a cigar and say this cigar is going to kick your ass, and I'm I'm like okay, it's it I, it's not real. I don't I don't get the meat sweats very often from cigars at all, and so one one of the things that makes that good for me is that. I can just focus on the flavor. I don't have to really worry about whether or not I'm going to have to, you know, pick myself up off the floor because the cigar is too strong. So I can focus on the flavor. And that's one of the things that I like about a lot of San Andreas blends that are on the market, but this one in particular that, like you said, it has balance. There's, there's, there's a little bit of spice, there's sweetness. And like Garrett mentioned a few minutes ago, the cigar, especially in this, um, this Toro size, the cigar transitions, mm-hmm. you know, you get, you get different things as you, you know, you go another inch into it, you get, a, you get something different. Then you go another inch and a half, you get something different. So the, the way that, and, and this goes down to the, um, you know, the skill of the people who roll and wrap these cigars that, you know, especially those boncheros, you know, the way that they tear those leaves and place them just so in that blend. And, and that's one of the reasons that you want to have, you know, people, that you know you want to have these relationships with these factories because if they don't roll the blend the way that it's meant to be rolled then it's all a waste of time yep absolutely correct and let me tell you if you took that exact cigar and and changed the positioning of a leaf by a little bit it will change that cigar tremendously and if you change the ratio by a little bit which may not be on purpose. In other words, you're supposed to have a half a leaf of this and so on and so on, and you don't have quite a half a leaf. That will change that cigar profile tremendously. You know, that cigar is so closely, it is the tweak to the filler count ratios is so small. Yeah. That the really, the only major difference is the wrapper. And if you smoke the original Ehrlich and then follow it up with the PLM or vice versa, 
do one first and then the other one. They're completely different cigars. Right. They're they're not even close to the same cigar. Yeah. It, it, so little subtle subtle changes to how you roll the cigar, blend the cigar, ha- can have major impacts on the end result. Oh yeah, a hundred percent, absolutely. And have you? So here's and I got I had to put this comment from Pete up on the screen. Meat sweats and rubbing it on my face just don't belong in the same sentence. Well, Pete's, they, another, Pete's another great supporter of my cigars, by the way. And so I've I've been able to I've been fortunate to visit some cigar factories and you know sometimes you get to um you get to smoke some cigars with just filler and binder or you just get to smoke some puritos with just a single tobacco leaf in them. Yeah, that's phenomenal. And you get you can tell when like if you were to take this PLM and and uh and the original Ehrlich and take the take the wrapper off and just smoke the binder and filler. For the most part, like you said, there are some tweaks, but for the most part, it's, it's going to be the same cigar with a few little differences, but that mm-hmm. wrapper leaf, that wrapper leaf is like the, you know, that's the thing that brings it, brings the blend together and turns it into right. the cigar that it was meant to be. Right. And so, some wrapper leaves have are very similar, right? Whereas some wrapper leaves have very big differences. To me, San Andreas Maduro is a very different, well, all right. The original Ehrlich has an Ecuadorian Sumatra. The PLM has a San Andreas Maduro. Completely different wrappers. Yeah. Completely different. Uh, and, and, And so that wrapper change has a major effect, whereas you could have a different wrapper change that has an effect, but not as big an effect, right? Um, so... The, by the way, I, 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 I want to credit Noel Rojas with the, my thought process on, on doing what I did because when I, remember I told you the story about when I went to an underground cigar shop for the first time, he handed out the cowboy and I asked him what the blend was and he told me and I said, huh, and I filed it away in my head and when we were having trouble blending the PLM, I, that's what caused me to tell an, an Ernesto we need to just take the original Ehrlich and put a San Andreas Maduro on. I want to taste that. Yeah. And so, uh, and it's because that cowboy has Condega and Esteli in it and it had a, a San Andreas Maduro. Yeah. Uh, so I said, and I liked it, but it was, it wasn't the same. It's not the same blend as the PLM at all. They're very, they're actually very different cigars uh, flavor wise. But when he told me there was some Condega and Esteli in there and uh, he used a San Andreas Maduro. I said, hmm, I'm going to try that. But I, uh, and he used a different binder than I used. But, but uh, it's, it was, it, it was one of the things that said, you know, th- I always try to learn from these folks. Like I, I respect Noel Rojas a lot. He makes great cigars. Ernesto, Pepin, uh, Manuel Quesada. When yeah. these guys try to tell me about, you know, how mm-hmm. tobacco blends together. Well, I'm not going to listen. Of course, I'm going to listen. Right. These guys have forgotten more about tobacco than I'll ever know in my life. Yeah. So when I hear a guy like Noel say, and I like the cigar, I'm smoking the cowboy in front of him, and I go, "This is a great cigar." And he goes, uh, "Well," I, and I ask him the blend. He tells me, "Now I have to file that away." Yeah. Now I know these tobaccos work together in a way that I like. Yeah. Right? So this happens all the time, and this happens when I'm talking to Carlito Fuente or uh, Lito Gomez or whatever. You know, I'll file away knowledge that says, okay, they did this, they did that, and it all worked. And then you try to come up with a blend. Not to, co- you're not copying them. What you're trying to do is say, okay, these tobaccos work. 
uh, it's like two good chefs coming together and saying, hey, I use this herb with this yep. spice. Absolutely. Yep. Right? Uh, and so, or great winemakers that come together. I, here's how I do my wine blending. And so you file it away and then you can use that and then take it to a different place. Yeah. And I often tell people, you know, as, as, as legendary as the folks are that I've made cigars with, Quesada and Carrillo and Pepin, I pride myself on saying that my cigars don't actually taste like their cigars. And yeah. that is because I always try to put my twist on it. Even the original Imperia, when I was still very rough around the edges, I said, look, I don't want this to be another Quesada cigar. I, we've got to make this my cigar. And so we worked on it and worked on it. And I gave some input and he gave some input and we collaborated on it. Yeah. Um, um, so it's, it's a matter of absorbing all the knowledge these great people have and then taking that with your own knowledge that you accumulate over time to make a cigar that's unique, but still very, very much a great cigar. Yeah. Uh, now, Mike, um, I want to thank you and the uh, the crew that has joined us this evening because hmm. we continue to throw us <laughs> softballs. And um, I'm just going to keep swinging at these because they're fun. <laughs> now, I don't even know what this means. I can't but, wait. Um. So apparently you have a favorite headrest. What? Joseph says what his favorite headrest is. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) Do I I have to actually respond to that? Well, I I I think you should. I think you're kind of obligated to. Joe's my New England rep. Joe, Joe, you're fired. Um, (laughs) No, Joe does a great job. He's not fired. But, um, so in Vegas this year. <laughs> why, do, why do stories always start like that? So in Vegas. So, you know, Skip Martin throws a great party. It usually most years he throws several parties. Yeah. And he always gives me a, um, a VIP pass to his parties every year. But I've never been able to go. This year I was able to go. So he gives me the VIP pass to his party. I go. He's got open bar. And when I tell you, let me tell you something about Skip. When this dude throws a party, it's have you guys been to Skip's parties? Uh, I have. I have not. I, I have. And yes, it, it's no joke. He, he doesn't fuck around. No, it's no joke. And I give the guy amazing kudos. I'd like to change his politics a little, but other than that, I give him amazing <laughs> kudos. Um, I have great respect for Skip, by the way. But, yeah, but, uh, but he. He, I go to this party, and this year, instead of doing it at like a hospitality suite where he's going to get shut down at 11, a, 11 p.m. because it's a hotel room and you can't smoke and drink and be loud, he he rented out Tao, the nightclub at uh, Palazzo. Yeah, I'm still pissed that I missed it. <laughs> well, I go there, and I bring Joe with me, who just posed that question, my yeah. sales rep. And because my the VIP pass is plus one, Joe was my plus one. Oh, that's so, so it is, isn't it? <laughs> so I bring Joe with me. We go to the party, and he's got open bar, and the the liquor is like they didn't pull the top shelf liquor off the shelf. It's whatever you wanted. I mean, whatever you wanted. What's Barry saying? He said he couldn't uh, possibly remember anything about a headrest. <laughs> I've got quite. These are people. These are the people I have to work with, right? I mean, <laughs> can I tell? You? Must be rough. So. Yeah, so um, 
So we, we I, you know, I had a bunch of bourbon. I mean, I, I figured Skip's bill that night was about 110 grand and I was responsible for about 10 of it. <laughs> and so Joe gets a Uber or a Lyft or whatever to get us back to the, I rented a house this, this year as well. And Joe was staying at the house. So I, I, we're in the Lyft or Uber and apparently rumor has it that I passed out on his shoulder in the backseat of the car. <laughs> Rumor has it. <laughs> no, it died. Let's just clear it away. I did pass out on his shoulder. <laughs> I had no idea. We get to the house, so the car stops, and I wake up. And I'm like, I was on his shoulder. I go, Joe, you didn't wake me up? He goes, oh, that's cool. I go, really, dude? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's going to let me. He's gonna, I probably drooled on your shirt. I mean, it's, this is not good. <sighs> Love it. So that's the headrest joke. Where where are you guys registered? <laughs> uh, we're not. Pier one. Oh uh, god. Yeah, no. Um, Joe and I are both happily married. <laughs> All right. So I have to just because I know, you know, you're a you're a New England, you're a Boston sports guy. And as somebody who's not I'm not a Boston sports guy. <laughs> That's because that's you're from Minnesota, for God's sakes. Well, yeah, but it, here's the thing. I don't root for m- most Minnesota sports teams. Uh, well, well, how could you? I don't. I'm I'm a Green, I, I'm a Green Bay Packer fan. Of course you are. Through and through. Uh, I lived in Wisconsin for, for many years. and um, you, If I'm not mistaken, you're, a, you're like a big fan of craft beer, right? Oh, yeah. You should be embarrassed about Aaron Rodgers' ability to chug a beer, no? <laughs> That was that was kind of pitiful. I, I will funny. I will admit that was that was kind of pitiful. No, I just want to, you know. <laughs> so, I, there there's got to be some secret formula to the Boston sports dynasty. I mean, if you if you look over, so I, I put some notes together here about this. The Red Sox, four championships in the last fifteen years. The Patriots, six championships in the last eighteen years. The Bruins, six championships. And, and over, by the way, 10 straight AFC East championships. Yeah, and 10 straight AFC East. Uh, the the Bruins, nope. uh, uh, where was my notes? Uh, the Bruins, six championships overall. The last one was in 2011. The Celtics, 17 championships overall. The last one was in 2008. What What is, I'm, I know there's no magic pill, but but can, can you give everybody else a chance maybe? <laughs> you know what's funny? Here's what's funny. When I was, I grew up in Hartford, Connecticut. And Hartford, Connecticut is sort of the Mason-Dixon line between New York and Boston, right? So most people, because Boston sports at that time, other than the Celtics, sucked. The yeah. Patriots were the laughing stock. Mm-hmm. The Bruins hadn't won a championship since the late 70s, I don't, I believe. Uh, you know, it was a disaster. 72. Yeah, right. And so, so... We the, the Boston sports sucked when I was a kid. Most of my family, friends, you name it, were Yankees fans, uh, Giants fans. Uh, and me and my brother, uh, who's three years older than me, we were both Red Sox fans and Patriots fans. Uh, I like some other sports teams, too. I, I love Dr. J, so I, I believe it or not, I was a Celtics fan, but I also liked the Sixers, which yeah. is weird because they were big rivals, but I loved Dr. J so much as a kid. Anyway, so 
this, the, the Boston sports team sucked. We couldn't get out of our own way except for the Celtics. Yeah. My kids, my oldest daughter is 20. She'll be 21 in um, February. My next child is a daughter. She's 18. She'll be 19 in January. And my son is 15. He'll be 16 in November. They think we just win. <laughs> right. I mean, they think they think that all we do is win. Like, yeah. They think this is just like every year there's going to be a parade, maybe multiple parades. Yeah. They don't and know I, the dark days. They don't. They have no idea tomorrow. the suffering that we went through <laughs> for a long, long time. Yeah. That said, it's been pretty awesome for the last like yeah. 15, 19 <laughs> years. It really has been pretty fucking great. I got to tell yeah. you, it's. I mean, the Patriots have been. You know, the Patriots, what they've done since 2001 is insane. It may never be done again. It would be highly unlikely that it's done again. You know, they, they've... It's a true in, dynasty. In a free agent era, Yeah. in the last 18 years, they've been the nine Super Bowls and won six. And... If you were to list the number of Hall of Fame players on that team over the last 18 years, it's not that much. It's not that yeah. many. Which means, and if you were to list the number of Hall of Fame players that Tom Brady has had to throw the ball to, it's not that many. Yeah. He didn't have Jerry Rice on one side and John Taylor on the other. Right. And Roger Craig in the backfield. Yeah. All at the, all at yeah. the same time. Or Barry Sanders or... Yeah, I mean... You look at some of the, the, the players that, that, that people want to say are better than Brady has been. What Brady's done in this era with the players he's had is insane. It's insane. Because even Edelman's probably been his longest-running great receiver. He's, yep. probably, he's a borderline Hall of Famer, and he probably won't get in. Probably not. You know, he had Randy Moss for two seasons. Antonio Brown for one game. <laughs> yeah one game it was a good one game yeah yep yeah, um but there's no secret it's, it's in the water yeah there it's you like, go it's like the new yorkers say about the pizza it's, it's all about the water yeah <laughs> um so mike if you if you had to choose if somebody put this question to you and they said mike you can only do big finance for the rest of your life until you retire as a career. You have to get out of cigars altogether. Or you can only do cigars until you retire and you have to get out of big finance altogether. Which one would you choose? So I'm going to ask that three different ways. <laughs> the first way is I already let's left. Say, let's say money is no object. Let's say if all things being equal. Well, if money's no object, then I'm going to do cigars. Okay. Right. Uh, but I, and you know that because I already left big finance to do cigars almost completely full time. Yeah. Right? So, but um, if, if I could do both, no, but I haven't left completely, so yeah. I still have my tentacles in the finance arena. But um, no, cigars is a much more fun industry, yeah. for sure. It's not, but it, it's very difficult. Look, the most successful people in the history of the cigar industry don't make anywhere near the amount of money as 
the middle of the road people in the finance industry. Right. Yeah. So if you're talking, about, if you want me, you want me to answer based on what money? No, finance. It's it's not even close. Absolutely. But if if it's quality of of life, well, labor of love, I travel. Yeah, labor of love. Yeah. It's, it's cigars, right? So you have to balance that. And I've been fortunate enough to be able to to um, be successful enough in finance to be able to do cigars, um, and um, you know, so it's. I love cigars more than I love finance, but finance um, was the reason I could do cigars. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's good. You know, you can have a, you had a lot of success and you still do have a lot of success in the financial industry. And it, you know, it gives you a, it gives you an opportunity. It gives you a vehicle to, you know, pursue other passions, you know, and it's, uh, it's, and I know you've been, you've been fortunate and I know you're grateful for all of it. So, uh, and, and I, for one, I'm, you know, grateful that you're in the cigar business today. I appreciate that, man. It means a lot. Um, so, um, we're going to shift gears a little bit every week. Garrett and I talk about a little bit of a, we do a useless fact of the week. Um, and, and this is just sort of my nerd side that comes out doing a useless fact. And this week, this one, this one kind of struck me a little bit interesting. And that is it. We're talking about the lottery. Um, and we're also talking about fortune cookies. So I can't wait to hear when you're tying this together in 2000, (laughs) this one blew me away. And I, and I've learned that I have to double check these on a few different sources because, uh, you know, you can check one site and it says one thing and another one says something completely different, but this one checked out on a lot of different sites. And it turns out in 2005, there was a fortune cookie company that correctly foretold lottery numbers. (laughs) <laughs> and that resulted in 110 winners with a total winning payout of over 500 grand. And, uh, and, and most of it centered in the state of Iowa. And they, there was a massive investigation by the, uh, by the FBI. And it turns out that it was just 100% coincidence. There was no fraud. There was no collusion. So in, in 2005, 110 people collectively won half a million bucks just from playing the numbers they found on their damn fortune cookies. So I'm not saying, I'm just saying don't hesitate to play your fortune cookie numbers because <laughs> it turned into something, you know, I've never played fortune cookie numbers, but Me neither. I don't do lottery. either. I've, yeah, I've played the lottery po- probably half a dozen times in my life. I'm about the same. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I might occasionally on a whim buy a lottery ticket, but it's, it's Yeah. Has nothing to do with fortune cookies, but yeah. I, I I commend you for finding. I mean, Cliff Clavin is very impressive yeah. right now. That's he that's that. I mean, as far as useless facts go, that might be the most that's, useless that I've come up yeah. with so far. But uh, phenomenal. I think when you say no collusion, you have to say no collusion. No no collusion. China. You have to have white circles around your eyes, <laughs> face and really bad hair. Yes, there was. There was there was no collusion. No, collusion. I can't do a Trump voice. I can't. That uh, was that was actually pretty good. Oh, yeah. all right, I'll take it. Um, so my favorite, absolute favorite segment of the week is Numero, Numero de los Muertos. So, what's all right. what's the number this week? This week's number of the dead is nine point five million a year. Holy crap! That's that might be the biggest number so far. So I'm going to give um, 
I'm going to give uh, a little, little Back, context backstory. Um, 55 million people on average die globally every year. 9.5 million of them are this. So 55 million people die every year. Yep. And nine and a half million of them die from this. No, no. Nine and a half million are this. Nine and a half million are this. 55 million die. What? What? 55 million people die on the planet every year. That's it. I know. I thought that was low too, but um, there's like 7 billion people, right? Correct. And I mean, in in Chicago alone, you got about 54 million. No. Um, and out of this 55 million, 9.5 million are this, this, and they're people, Cigar smokers, mm-hmm. all uh, not, uh, no, don't. <laughs> bourbon drinkers, <laughs> um, 9.5. So they're people, 9.5 million human beings yep. and they die and they are this, um, so 9.5 out of 55, um, so it's roughly twenty five percent or twenty. Are they Uber drivers? 20. Ooh, no, not nope. Not enough like Uber drivers. <laughs> I hope not. I need I need rides a lot. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, um, I know. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Um, nine nine and a half million. All right, give us another hint. Um, think regionally. Uh, that could be anything regionally uh, Western hemisphere. Mm, more specific. Uh, Eastern United States. Nope. Uh, United States. No, not United States. Uh, Asia. Yeah. Asia, middle Asia, mm, Western Asia. Yeah. Western Asia. Yes. Yep. Which would be India. No. Nope. Oh, no, sorry, not Western Asia. Not Western Asia. Eastern, Eastern Asia. Asia. Uh, China? It would be China. China. So um, the largest statistic of people dying are the Chinese by percentage, um, followed by... India. Correct. India. I mean, I'm just going by world population now. Yep. So so 9.5 million Indian people die every year? Chinese. Chinese. And then about 8 million. Oh, okay. Eight. It's 8 million? No, 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 no. Um, Matt, Matt's very confused right now. I'm I know. so confused. <laughs> Keep it's, drink- the, it, it's the bourbon. Keep drinking. It's the bourbon. 9.5 Let's see that bottle. How much is left in that bottle? Oh, I, I barely, I've barely broken it. Oh, you lightweight. Yeah, tell me. I, I can't compete with you. You can. You can try. <laughs> so then here's here's the other question. If 9.5 million Chinese die and on average 8 million people from India die, how many, what's the number for the United States? Every year? Yep. Uh, 3 million-ish. Three to three and a half million, somewhere. Well, that, there, right? Yeah, that would be one percent, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I think China's got what a billion plus people. We've got three hundred fifty million. So you're looking at about a third of what 
So it's about 3.3 million. If you just go by odds. I'm going to go with Mike on this one. 2.8 million. 2.8. See, you know why? We're healthier than they are. That's true. Well, we aren't, but but most of America, <laughs> on average, Americans are healthy. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, China has almost exactly a billion more people than we have. Well, Garrett's had got that super drink going. He I do. Yeah, yeah Garrett. So Garrett's not going anywhere. No, anytime soon. He's going to live to be 140. <laughs> Please no. <laughs> um. So let's hit some. Uh, some lightning round questions for you, Mike. Oh boy. Um, I mean, do I need to pour bourbon for this? You yeah. might. Yep. You might. I'm empty. Well, one of the, one of the subjects is about, um, is about the IPCPR slash PCA as an organization, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, if you could give one piece of advice to new cigar consumers, what would it be? Don't limit yourself to cigars that you've already smoked. There are a lot of, there's more great cigars out there today than ever before, in my opinion. Mm. You may not like all of them, but you owe it to yourself to try them. Yeah. No, I agree with that 100% because even back in the boom, you know, I I started in 96 with premium cigars. And even back in the boom, there were a lot of great cigars back then. Yep. But what's what's available now is just staggering Mm -hmm. compared to what was available back then. Well, there was a lot more cigars available back then, right? But they most of them sucked. Yeah, there were a lot of you know, there, there were a lot of crap. Out. Yeah. There's not a lot of crap out now. Crap yeah. doesn't stick True. around for very long now because even in um, catalogs. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of great cigars out there. Branch out, try something new once in a while, and uh, you'll you'll be happy you did. Absolutely. Um, so, if you could give uh, one piece of advice to cigar retailers which i know you do a lot because you know in in just working with them and and working your brands you know you give advice to them but if you could give uh, take yourself out of the mlb equation if you could give one piece of advice to cigar retailers what would it be you know we're we're dealing with a lot of stuff with the fda right now yeah and um i think that it's pretty clear that there are certain companies that are in favor of the FDA uh, removing rights of adults to smoke cigars. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I would tell retailers that if you, I'm not going to mention any companies by name, but uh, <laughs> if it, it's not that hard to figure out and you should stop supporting those companies, period. Because if you support those companies, at the end of the day, it's going to come back on you and you're going to get clobbered because of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so final lightning round question, and it's basically the same question, but if you could give one piece of advice to what is now called the PCA, what would it be? Only one. I only have one. Yeah. (laughs) The most important one. Look, uh, let me see how I can say this as nicely as possible. No, have another drink and then yeah. answer. Say, say, um, at the, say at the mic, Bella. No, I'm going to be I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah. Listen, one of the things I I really what a lot of people that know me really know me know is I don't give a shit. Yeah, I will tell you what I think, but I also don't want to be overly harsh. Um, and I know that the PCA is dealing with a lot of challenges, uh, but it is. 
remember when we talked about when I was when I joined the board of the Westbridge Youth Athletic Organization, and I said, "Look, yep. there's a lot of challenges," and it is, the, and I was constructive of all my criticism. Yeah, uh, the Westbridge when I joined the WBYAA, um, their challenges were nothing as compared to how the PCA is being run right now, and um, this whole for years the PCA or IPCPR, whatever the hell you want to call it. Um, has really not been run very well, in my opinion. And uh, I'm too small to make a difference with them, so it doesn't really matter. But uh, they they really haven't been run well. And the latest example is this last year's IPCPR show, which became the PCA, um, with this whole consumer cigar con thing, and now they're not doing it next year. And yeah, you know that whole thing was. You can be for or against the consumers going to the trade show, uh, and you know I'm not going to I'm not going to tell you you know how you should feel about that. But the way they announced that and launched it was a complete and utter disaster. Yeah, it was so bad that it made the Obamacare website launch look like it was pristine. <laughs> I mean, it was a disaster. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was they they did nothing right with that announcement. Yeah, uh, and that's a problem. And it, it 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 decreases the level of confidence that folks, retailers, and uh, manufacturers have in the organization. Now we need to support them because they're helping, hopefully, to fight the good fight against the FDA. Yeah. But, they got to get their stuff together. I yeah. mean, it's, they need, they need, I think they need new leadership, frankly. And I think um, they need to incorporate, look, the people that are most affected by the FDA are people like me. Yeah. Right. Smaller to medium, medium sized to slightly large size companies. The huge companies, they benefit from it. Mm. They, they'll tell you they don't, but they do. Yep. They know they do. And that's why they're not, putting a whole lot of money behind fighting it. Yeah. But um, uh, they need companies like mine to represent what's going on, to give them input on how to go about this thing. Because there's a lot of people in, on, in, in companies like mine, Robert Holt, myself, and several other companies that have a lot of insight into um, the business and can offer some value, but they don't listen to us because we're too small. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, a problem. Yeah. I, I just want to uh, recognize a, a comment by Allison who says, <laughs> retailers need to put more effort in their women clientele. <clears throat> and I want to piggyback on that. And I completely agree with that 100%. I would also love to see the... Um, all the the smut and the cigar and tits go away um because to objectify women in a way that is just eye candy for men in this industry is perpetuating that all men are pigs and um and i get that that might you know sex sells and all that but um there are more and more women uh joining this beautiful culture and to have that be a part of the ongoing media uh, piece, I'm just not a fan of. 
Well, I think I think there. I have known so many women, and still do know so many women in this industry that you know they're 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 just as dedicated to the industry as absolutely as anybody else. And they're you know this this industry is so fascinating, and 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 it's just a it's a culture that that is unlike you know any other industry. It's 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 like I said before, it's so relationship driven. Yep, and. You know, there there are people. That's one of the coolest parts about the cigar business. And Mike, I know you've seen this too. There there are people from literally every single walk of life. I don't care where they come from, what they know, what they don't know, what they think, what they care about. And the cool part is, there's there's you know there's so much BS going on online right now about you know you know whether it's whether it's politics or whatever it is. And there's something about the cigar industry, not the industry, but the culture where it, it just, it, I don't know what it is. People just can talk about it openly. We can disagree openly. We can disagree even vigorously, but at the end of the day, we're just chilling. We're having cigars. We're having drinks, whatever it is. Yep. And it's all good, you know, because and and there's so little of that in the world today. And there seems to be more of it in the cigar culture than there are in other areas of life. Yeah. So so a couple of things. One, the fastest growing segment of cigar smokers are women. Oh, I didn't know that. That's okay. Awesome. Yeah. By a lot. Um, so I agree with Allison a lot uh, and on that. And, you know, I. When I when I'm at cigar shops and a woman walks in to buy cigars, oftentimes the manager, salesperson, retail owner, they assume that they're buying it for their boyfriend, husband, whatever. Yeah. They may not be. And you need to just ask what kind of cigar are you looking for? You know, mm-hmm. and they'll tell you. Uh and if they don't smoke, they'll tell you that too. They, yeah. They, or they'll but so don't just presuppose that they don't smoke. Right. More and more women are smoking cigars. Yeah. Yep. Two. Um, on the whole cigar tits thing with the pictures, I agree with you. I think that um, y- you know a lot of that is not really great for the industry or any industry for that right. matter. Yep. That said, most of those postings happen from the person whose picture it is. Right. So yep. if they want to post them, yeah, post you're away. Right. Absolutely. I have no problem with them posting them. Yep. Um, the third thing I would say is that, you know, there the cigar industry is the great equalizer. I go to a lot of cigar shops all over the country. And I could be in a cigar shop and I'll have literally a billionaire sitting to my left and a, you know, trade worker sitting to my right. Yeah. And we can all sit together and talk and nobody says I'm better than you. You're, you know, you're not as good. It doesn't happen. Right. The cigar is the great equalizer. And we all can have a discussion. And it is, this is one of the things, by the way, that the FDA and the government doesn't get. Cigars are not cigarettes. 
You know, cigarettes don't do this. That's right. Vape doesn't do this. <clears throat> you know, we come together and we can talk and we can disagree politically. We can be on different socioeconomic uh, levels. It doesn't matter. We can all sit there and enjoy a cigar and talk about what's going on in the world and have an opinion. And, you know, I can tell you all the events that I do all over the country, there are people from all walks of life at those events. And nobody, nobody judges anybody based on what walk of life they come from. We're all there to have a good time and to be, we're all, there's a camaraderie that happens with a cigar. Yeah. Yeah, absolute mm-hmm. camaraderie. That's that's a word I hear a lot. I've heard it for years, and it's it's a hundred. I just can't believe I said it after three quarters of a bottle of bourbon. <laughs> well done, well done. Yeah, thank you. Um, so uh, notable smokables oh. uh, for this week, uh, Garrett. I want you to start it out because I know you had some some really good cigars this week. I did. I smoked the uh, new archetype. Uh, I keep forgetting the name. Was it the Strange Passage? Uh, strange Passage. Is that what it was? Yeah. Man. Yeah, the, of uh, Ventura Cigar Company. Yep. Archetype Strange Passage. You like that? You've had a few of them this week, right? I had three of them this week. Oh, that's well, that's good. I've, if you're buying three in the same week, you know. Um, I went back to it, and typically I'm a guy who, you know, like Mike was saying, you know, uh, try something new. But if you find, you know, that... Uh, that special little treat. Yeah. You get a hankering and yeah, you know, you get a fever. The only prescription was more. Cowbell. more cowbell. <laughs> so, well, I think it might be, I mean, I think it's probably box purchase time. Oh yeah. It's time. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's an intervention and it's time is for it, you to commit. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> my, uh, my first notable smokable this week was uh, from the, the Rome craft event at tobacco grove. Mike Rosales was there and they had the, the new Vitola of the Neanderthal, the Neanderthal LH. Uh, and you know, it's a, it's, it's a box press version of the Neanderthal. I've been a fan of that blend for a long time, but you know, that's another one of the cigars that like I talk about that it's, it's touted as a strong cigar. And, and for those of you who are affected by strength in cigars, you have to approach this one with caution. It's really going to hammer you, but mm-hmm. It is, so far, what I can tell is, I think, so far, it's probably the best version of the Neanderthal. And I've had them all. And I think it might be the perfect Vitola for that blend. Uh, it's it's very well done. And, and it does have, you know, that body and just really strong depth to it. But at the same time, I think it's got all those characteristics that uh, that made me really like the the neanderthal you know back in the day when i first tried it um mike is there anything i know you smoke obviously uh you know a lot of your own stuff but is there anything in the in the in the humidor you know from other brands that you've tried recently that you've liked nothing tremendously new um what did i smoke today? and even even old stuff that you revisit like oh man i haven't had this one in 10 years or whatever i mean i i love the wise man maduro i had one of those mm. today Oh yeah. Um, I had, you know what I like, I'm going to tell you one, this, and I'm not saying this because he's my business partner, my distribution company, but there, I'm not a mild cigar smoker typically, 
but there are a few mild cigars that have tremendous flavor. Yeah. One is um, uh, the Aladino, the original Aladino. Oh, yeah. That, that's really not a mild cigar. It's really more of a mild to medium, right. touching upon medium. The other one that I would say is the Matilde Serena. Um, oh, yeah. Anyone, that cigar, for me, when I'm having a cigar with coffee in the morning, I either smoke my Blue Label, I smoke a Matilde Serena, I smoke an Aladino. There's a couple of there's, there's another one. Uh, there's a Patina that I don't know the name of the blend that Joe, who is my sales rep, who asked about the headrest. Yeah, the Patina Connecticut. That's a good cigar. Yeah, it is a good cigar. Very good. I, I yeah. enjoy that. I enjoy that cigar. That, that would be a morning sort of, you know, with coffee cigar. Yeah. Um, but there's a, there's a lot of good cigars. There's so many great cigars out there. I know. I know. It's great. Um, another one for me was um, another small brand, uh, but but a good brand that I've been impressed with for a long time, uh, M Bombay Cigars. Mm. And he put out the new, uh, what what's called the M Esteli. And um, I haven't had that yet. And it's, I got to say, hey, Mel, if you're listening, I want, I want you to send me some. Yeah. Well, Mel, Mel reached out to me and, and he said, can I send you some of these? And I said, I, I would love it. I, I appreciate it. And he sent some to me and, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, out of, I mean, there's, there's so many cigar cigars that we smoke, but sometimes you get one that it's the, the cool thing about this cigar is the wrapper in particular, the wrapper on it is one of the oiliest wrappers I've ever had on a cigar. Wow. And it's, I mean, it's to the point where it's got such an oily consistency to it that it's almost like waxy. Wow. You know, on the, you know, the, the, the mouthfeel is like waxy and, and, and it's, and the flavor profile to it is, is really, really good. So that was another one of mine this week. Uh, One of mine was uh, the uh, Epoca, uh, Nat Sherman, yeah, Nat Sherman, Epoca. That's Zer- an oldie. Yeah, that's an oldie. And he that's had, he had never. Garrett had I never had never it before. Had it. So yeah, I have one in my humidor right here. Oh, oh you got one? Right there on, you go. Right on cue. Yeah, that's another yeah. one. That I smoke. I smoke with uh, coffee in the morning too. Yeah, that's a that's good a cigar. Great cigar. Yeah. Um, and you know who then, makes that? You know what factory makes that? Uh, I actually, I, is it Casada? It is Casada. Yeah. I thought it was Casada. I just said that cause they make three of my blends, but <laughs> <laughs> that was a self-promotion. <laughs> and I, uh, I reached into an old box, uh, of the, the old room one one from back when, uh, room one one obviously still around, but they changed things up a, a few years ago. Uh, the Room 101 Daruma, when mm. when they were made back at one of the Davidoff factories, I think in Honduras, uh, that Lancero, that done, uh, not Daruma Lancero, yeah. yep. good, very good cigar. And I'm not Garrett's a really big Lancero guy. I wow. I like some Lanceros, but but there's something about that Daruma Lancero, and and of course it's an aged cigar. It's probably six years old. I'm gonna send you guys a Lancero I made for the underground. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna open that package that I have sealed already. I'm gonna repackage it. I'm gonna send you each one. I love it. I love it. Thank you very much. Uh, Do you have any more, Garrett? Those were really uh, my my two big notables. Okay. Um. So, guys, coming up, uh, we have some really cool stuff coming up uh, in the coming weeks on how about that cigar. Next week on October eighth, we're gonna have Juan Cancel and Bill Ives from uh, Cuba Cano slash Protocol Cigars. They are awesome Rest guys. Up. 
<laughs> yeah, we have to rest up. You guys hung out with Juan before? I have, yes. Okay. Yeah. Are ready then? Yeah, they're going to keep us on our toes. I'm going to have to have, uh, I'm going to have to maybe take the next day off and, and <laughs> yeah. That's a great guy. <laughs> so that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, the following week, uh, October 15th, this one's really, really huge. We're super excited to, to, uh, to welcome, uh, Pete Johnson from Tatuaje Cigars onto the show. Um, he did join us briefly when we had, uh, Jesse and Steve from the hand-rolled movie on the show uh, a couple of months ago, but unfortunately the audio was was complete garbage. But we have this new software that works a lot better now. So Pete's going to be on the show on October fifteenth, um, which is cool because you know October is kind of a big month for Tatuaje. They Huge. do the monster series and things yeah. like that, so we're very excited to talk to him. Uh, and then the following week on October 22nd, uh, we're going to sit down and talk to Eric Gatormson from uh, Cigar Dojo. He Dojo. Is, yeah, he is Master Sensei himself from Cigar Dojo. And I've been, you know, a member of Cigar Dojo for a long time and mm-hmm. uh, have made lifelong friendships from people that uh, that I've met through Cigar Dojo and excited to talk to him. And we're going to talk a little bit of hockey uh, because he's a huge hockey fan. So we're going to talk. You know, the hockey season is just uh, in preseason right now, but regular season's starting up very soon. So we're going to talk a little hockey and a little cigars with Eric while he's on the show. And then the following week, uh, October 29th, we are going to broadcast live from Sodi Cigars in Stillwater, Minnesota. Uh, and that's a great shop, new shop that's uh, uh, gotten a lot of uh, good local press. They have a great lounge. They have a great selection on their humidor. And uh, some really good people working there and hanging out there. So we're going to just hang yep. out at the shop and talk about the life of a, a brick-and-mortar cigar retailer and a few other things. Um, so, Mike, before we close out tonight, just give people a last little idea of where they can find out more information about MLB Cigars. Yeah, so uh, if you go to MLBCigarVentures.com, uh, you can uh, look at our blends. There's a whole blend profile page, and there's a retailer list page. and um, you'll learn a lot about that. Uh, and uh, on Facebook, uh, you can follow me or you can friend me on uh, my name is Mike Bellity. So you can friend me there or MLB Cigar Ventures, Instagram, MLB Cigar Ventures, uh, as well as Twitter. Awesome. All right, um, guys, if you are uh, watching on Facebook, thanks so much for taking your time this evening to watch the show. Um, please continue to share out the videos. We appreciate all the love and support. Uh, And for those of you listening, as always on the audio podcast, thank you so much. Please take a minute to subscribe to the podcast and uh, rate us on your favorite podcast platform. Um, If you have any questions, as always, you can hit us up on Facebook on uh, Facebook slash uh, Facebook.com slash HBT cigar. You can find us on Instagram and also you can email us directly at the website. How about that cigar.com. And until we see you guys next time, burn cigars, not bridges. All right. Take care, guys. Thank you.